it's not just a day and a month. Uh, it's very much part of the really vibrant community of Central and Southern California that we serve. Welcome to Electric Perspectives, a podcast that explores how America's electric companies are working to deliver the reliable, affordable, secure, and clean energy that powers our economy and our everyday lives. The show is brought to you by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, which represents all U.S. investor-owned electric companies. I'm your host, Brian Real. We are in the middle of Hispanic Heritage Month, and we are honored to have a special guest here today to help us recognize this cultural observance. EEI Chair Pedro J. Pizarro, President and CEO of Edison International, the parent company of Southern California Edison, is joining us on the show to discuss what it means to be EEI's first Hispanic board chair, how he stays connected to his culture, the leadership style he has cultivated as head of one of the largest electric companies in the country, and more. Courtney Peterson, EEI Vice President, Chief Diversity Officer, and Chief Human Resources Officer will moderate the conversation with Pedro. Courtney, take it away. Thanks, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here and to be speaking with such an incredible leader in our industry. So Pedro, first, I must say that we are grateful to have you serve as EEI's chair, leading our industry on priorities like the clean energy transition. As we celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month, I think it's important to recognize that you are EEI's first Hispanic chair. What does it mean to you to be the first? Well, first, Courtney, thank you for having me on the podcast and frankly for everything you and the whole EEI team do. Just uh, terrific. Uh, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I'm proud to be the first Hispanic chair. I'm proud that EEI has such a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm proud that if you you look at our industry, uh, a few years ago, the Wall Street Journal reported how our sector had the highest proportion of female CEOs across the U.S. industry. So, yeah, it's great that I'm the first Hispanic board chair. I don't think about that all the time. What I think about is wanting to, frankly, measure up to the work that the team at EEI does and the work that my peers do and, you know, try my best to represent the industry well over the next year. Thanks, Pedro. And you do a wonderful job at that. In connection with you being the first Hispanic chair of EEI's board, have you felt any inherent pressure in the role or other leadership roles to work harder as you represent your culture? Well, first, I'll start by saying that Tom Kuhn and others said that this was going to be an easy gig, and they lied. No, no, no. I, I knew there would be work involved. Uh, I don't think I feel pressure because I happen to be Hispanic, but I do feel pressure because this is an important industry. We're critical infrastructure in every sense of the word. And as I look around the EEI board table, I have some really talented peers. So the pressure all comes from making sure I do a good job on their behalf and and I'm, I'm proud of the industry. I'm proud of Power by Association, and I want to measure up to that. Excellent. So one of the things that we like to explore is offering advice to other leaders who are listening. And so what advice would you give to leaders who, generally speaking, might feel pressure in their roles? One day at a time and take a deep breath and stay centered. Uh, I mean, it really starts with that. Uh, what we do and I really mean we in the broadest sense, uh, what we, the EEI team, you know, everybody in the staff, we, other CEOs, we, the executives of the companies, we, our line workers and our accountants and our lawyers, what we do is really important work. You know, we power the economy and there's an inherent pressure that comes from that, right? 
there's other businesses where you can feel the pressures about just normal business performance, but perhaps that product doesn't actually have the whole economy depending on it. Ours does. And so that's where I know folks can feel pressure. So what do you do about it? You know, make sure you have a strong team. Make sure if you're a leader that you're being a caring leader and connecting and making sure people feel comfortable telling you when, you know, you may have it wrong because I'll guarantee you, you will at some point. Uh, and, uh, and then take care of yourself and take care of your team, uh, not only in a business sense, but you have to care, take care of yourself in terms of a human being, right? So uh, physical health, mental health, the ability to disconnect now and then, those are really important. That's how you manage stress and pressure. Excellent. Thank you, Pedro. So let's talk a little bit about a place that's very special to you, and that is Puerto Rico. So as I was doing research for this episode, I learned that you and your family grew up in Puerto Rico. So how do you stay connected to your culture and your roots? So I was born there, and I lived just outside of San Juan until I was age 14, and then we moved to Florida. Uh, And, you know, it's just part of who I am. our kids, uh, my wife is not Puerto Rican. She has German background. We call our kids German Ricans. And, uh, you know, I, I think about how they've stayed connected to the culture, too. It's things like the family connections that we have, you know, understanding uh, what con- continues to go on in the island, the art, the food. Did I mention the food? Like the food, it's really good. And so, you know, occasional visits back to the island. Unfortunately, I don't have very few relatives left there. Um, my Closest one was my aunt passed away recently. But, you know, when I go back, you still feel a sense of connection of, oh, yeah, this is where I grew up. And you kind of get into, I get to use my Spanish, and you get into the cadence of the language and and the food. <laughs> Excellent. Um, that personal connection is so important. And I bet that it's also important at Edison International and its subsidiary, Southern California Edison. So how does Edison International recognize Hispanic Heritage Month and how does it bring together Hispanic employees to celebrate and foster kinship? It's really important. They recognize we're in a community that has a significant Hispanic and Latino, uh, Latinx you know, population. So uh, the company sponsors events. It's a you know, big signature event that, that recognizes Hispanic Heritage Month. And we bring in folks from the community. And uh, we recognize folks who are doing good things in the community and present them with, with awards for that. Uh, we also have our uh, Latinos uh, for Engagement and Advancement um, uh, group at LEAD. It's our uh, Hispanic Latinx BRG. And they also run a celebration you know, during the month and a number of other activities. Those are the formal things. And then I think informally, it's just being talking about it and being present about it and recognizing that it's not just a day in a month. Uh, it's very much part of the really vibrant community of Central and Southern California that we serve. Excellent. That sounds great. So I want to switch gears now, Pedro, and talk more about your career journey and the lessons you've learned as a leader. You've shared some of that with us already. As someone who's earned a PhD in chemistry and started out your career providing management consulting services, Talk to us about your pathway into the electric power industry and how you rose to become the head of Edison International. Uh, weird and unexpected. <laughs> uh, not exactly what I thought I was headed for when I went to college. I thought I was going to be a medical doctor. And then uh, halfway through college, I realized that I liked science a lot. Uh, for medicine, you had to memorize a bunch of things. And if I went more physical, I did physical chemistry uh, or chemical physics, depending which day of the week. 
uh, you know, you memorize a few equations and then you could derive the rest. So you could say maybe I was a little lazy and uh, that's why I went and got that PhD. Hey, joking aside, I thought I would have an academic career. And as I was finishing my PhD, I was curious and just looked a little more broadly and uh, what else might be out there. And I got a couple of, you know, I had a great academic job offer uh, for a postdoc with a fellowship. And I also had an industrial job offer. And then I had this McKinsey offer. And so uh, I ended up going with McKinsey after driving my wife crazy for two or three months going, should I do the apple or the orange or the pear? Uh, but what McKinsey presented was a very fast track into business and the ability to work. The two things that, that, that were appealing, one, to work in team settings, and two, to work on big problems. And when I thought about an academic career, I always thought that, sure, I would want to be in the lab, but eventually some of my role models were folks who had used that lab experience to then get involved at a national level on policy issues or the like in science. And so it seemed like business might provide a little bit of a shortcut to getting to those big picture items. So uh, as I was leaving McKinsey, ended up, uh, or, or sorry, as I was leaving grad school, I went to McKinsey. As I was then leaving McKinsey five and a half years later, a lot of travel involved, our daughter, Alana, who's now 25, was a newborn. And I thought, hey, I want to get off planes for a while. And Edison had been a client and had a, we got a job offer from them. So I took that job offer. Uh, not just because I had an offer. I had a couple other things lined up. But I was attracted then to this idea that um, our sector has this broader sense of mission. And back then, the mission was about the safe, reliable power. I remember, I'm not a sports guy, but for whatever reason, Monica, my wife, and I ended up going to a baseball game, I think, with somebody. And I was looking out over the stadium, looking out at the lights of the city just beyond and thinking, well, wow, I could be involved in powering that stuff. And so that's what led me to Edison. And 20-some years later, I find that we still have very much that sense of safe, reliable mission and affordable. But we also have this broader mission now of the clean energy transition. And that's what, frankly, has kept me there you know, all this time. And it's kind of cool to say that when I think about some of our uh, uh, more recent uh, recruits, they are really attracted by that clean energy mission. Absolutely. I think that we have quite a lot to offer in our industry. Um, and it's a very exciting industry to be a part of. I love hearing you talk about your passion for it. So diversity, equity, and inclusion are important values in our industry. You and I talk about this a lot. And I know that they are also embedded into Edison International's culture. So how do you and your team ensure that there's equal representation, opportunity, inclusion across all groups, especially at such a large and diverse company? So first, let me say, Courtney, thank you, because you are bringing such a wonderful focus on the topic at EEI, and not just for the EEI team sitting here in the D.C. office, but you're doing it for EEI, for the membership. And so the, the programs that you're leading are just uh, terrific. So big, big, big thank you, Cordy. So happy you're here. Uh, for Edison, as I said earlier, uh, we serve a really diverse community, so we should reflect that community over time. It starts with our board. We have one of the most diverse boards in the S&P 500, with eight out of the 11 of us being diverse in one way or another. It goes on through our executive ranks uh, and to our employees. When you think about our team, we compare ourselves to the right benchmark, right? So when I'm thinking about most of our team, we compare ourselves to the labor pool in Southern California. When I think about the executive team, we recruit nationally, so we compare ourselves to that national recruiting pool. 
And our numbers are pretty well aligned with those. That's, that's good, um, but it needs more work because the reality is that those labor pools don't actually reflect the population in the community, right? And what it means is that when you think about Southern California, and I think this is true nationally, there is more work we need to do to ensure that there is broad access so that um, when go, you got to recruit for an ex executive, the labor pool will resemble the actual population pool, right? And so there's some bits of that that we can help assist, right? Inside our walls, we make sure that we have a level playing field. We provide, you know, access and support. We have programs to help encourage, coach, develop, uh, you know, diverse talent and, and all talent. Outside of our walls, though, is frankly where a lot of the work needs to be done, all right? The lower school education system, all the way through, you know, trade schools, community colleges, four-year colleges, there's inequities that have been built up over decades, really centuries, across that entire system. We can't solve that alone, but we can help. And so when I think about things like our Edison Scholars Program, where we provide scholarships every year, we just increase it to $50,000 a year, sorry, $50,000 over four years for 30 uh, graduating seniors in SEs area. Uh, a large number of those are from underrepresented communities. Uh, when I think about our uh, $20 million a year that we give in shareholder-funded uh, contributions across our communities, and well over 80-plus percent of that is going to underrepresented communities, those are ways in which we can help move, move the needle in the broader economy, broader society. They're little movements, but if we do that and other companies do that and government does that, you know what? We're going to make a difference. Absolutely. Create a movement that really will have lasting change and impact. It's fantastic. So I want to take you back to 2017 when uh, you were new president and CEO of Edison International. You noted in a New York Times profile that you visualize yourself not as the hub of a wheel, but as the rim, keeping your team together and making sure that they perform well. You also said it was important that they feel comfortable disagreeing with you when needed. As the leader of such a large company, how do you build trust with your team and give them the confidence to voice their opinion? and create a healthy space for discussion. There's so much being talked about around psychological safety yeah. in the workplace, and I think that this really personifies that. So tell us more about that. Well, first, I want to acknowledge I ain't perfect, right? But this is what I strive for. Uh, in terms of that, that wheel analogy, I, I really do mean it. You know, and you see some leadership styles that are more, you know, the leader's at the top of the pyramid, or the leader is the, the center of the, uh, you know, the, the circle. Um, I really think that, you know, my job is to be the rim because the rim holds all the spokes together. And when there's tough mud to go through, the rim goes in first. All right. And so if there's team success, it's the team. If there's team failure, I always ask myself, well, what could I have done to help the team avoid that failure? So you need to feel that accountability. Uh, like I said, I ain't perfect. And if you have doubts about that, well, you don't because you and I have spent enough time together. So you <laughs> see me mess up and hopefully you see me fess up when I mess up. But, um, you know, go talk to my wife and kids and they'll give you many, many proof points. Uh, look, I know that human beings sadly keep an org chart in their head. All right. And so I happen to be at the top of the org chart and that is tough for people to overcome. So what can you do as a leader? Well, constantly encourage people to disagree with you. And I, I'm fortunate I have an immediate team around me that um, is 
pretty comfortable doing that. And I like it when they do that in big settings. I'm not a big fan of, hey, I disagree with you. So after the meeting, let's have a one-on-one -on -one and I can tell you what I really think. That does not help build culture, right? If my CFO, who's excellent at this, or my GC, you know, uh, or a company's uh, CFO and GC, or you know, Steve Powell, who you know, right, is mm -hmm. uh, head of the utility, yeah. if they take me on in a big group meeting, that's showing that, hey, we mean it. You can actually take on, quote unquote, the boss. And the folks they lead will then feel more comfortable and safe doing that. So uh, again, I don't have perfect days, but I really try to let that and, and frankly, you know, show that I reward folks. Uh, the, you know, most senior folks around the company are folks who people see debating actively with me because I give them plenty of opportunities with all my scripts. Excellent. Courageous leadership, Pedro. So Edison International has been a leader in clean energy and sustainability. Your company has been investing in programs that increase clean energy deployment and electrify homes and cars as it works towards net zero goals. Many EEI member companies share that clean energy vision and are taking action to make it a reality. So what excites you most about being part of the industry during this clean energy transition? What isn't there to excite you? I mean, again, I start from the standpoint of I'm trained as a scientist. I listen to the scientific community. Anthropogenic climate change is real. So therefore, we should be able to do something about it. When we do the analysis, all right, then we've done it for California as Edison. We've you know, joined forces through EPRI to look at national assessments. We've seen other groups do this. It is clear that the most reliable and affordable way to get there is to use a whole lot more clean electricity delivered over a strong and modern grid to repower a lot of the US economy and to electrify it, right? And so that is exciting. We are at the epicenter of this. We are a key enabler of this transition. And what we're doing here isn't just important in terms of, you know, well, how does that translate into a CapEx program or, you know, what's the latest bill that we got supporting it? You gotta think long-term. This is about my kids, their kids. You know, we collectively as an industry right now at this moment in time have the opportunity to create a lasting legacy that actually does something good for the planet and does something good for humanity and something that's not just a nice to have. We need to do this and we need to do it now. Excellent. So Pedro, as we wrap up, I have one final question and it is around the future of our industry. So what advice would you give to young people who are joining the electric power industry today? What should they know if they dream of becoming a leader in our industry one day? Well, we could spend another half hour on that, but I'll, I'll keep it really short. First, if you're here, please be excited because we have important work to do and it's a pretty darn cool mission. Uh, so that that's, if you remember one thing from this podcast, please make it that. If somebody's aspiring to be a leader, I'd say uh, a few quick nuggets. One, that's a great aspiration to have. Um, you know, hold it high, work towards it. But at the same time, don't let your life be defined by wanting to be X, Y, Z. I'll be honest, I never set out to be the CEO. I knew I wanted a leadership position. I knew I wanted to have impact and influence. But it'd be crazy if I had said that, you know, I, I thought I could define my life by did I make it to this or not. There's, there's 250 by definition you know, CEO jobs in the S&P 250 at any one time. Um, that's a pretty small number of jobs. And there's many ways in which you can have a fulfilling career. But it's great to have that aspiration. If you do, I always encourage people to think five or 10 years ahead 
Think of two or three jobs you think might be interesting at that next level, and then be honest with yourself and have people be honest with you about what are the three things you need to be developing to you know, be a candidate for, for that job or, or those jobs. And then go to work on those, right? Now, life may give you a journey where the door opens towards that job, or it might open a window towards a different job. Either way, you're going to be better prepared because you will have been working on yourself. And then the, the last thing I'd say about leadership kind of goes back to the, uh, the wheel analogy, but um, the best leaders, I think, are folks who want to lead because they want to be part of something bigger than themselves and they want to help a team get there. If you make it about yourself, you're just not going to be so, as good a leader. Excellent. Fantastic advice. Pedro, thank you so much for being with us today, sharing your experience and sharing these nuggets of wisdom. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was fun. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening and come back next week to hear more from experts and industry leaders who are talking about the innovative ways electric companies are building a cleaner, smarter, stronger energy future for the customers and communities they serve. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Electric Perspectives. I'm your host, Brian Real. Thanks for listening.